praise the Lord for another opportunity to share God's word with you. My subject for today is we walk by faith and not by sight, which is a verse from 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, this is what Paul says there. And uh, it's distinctive for those who are Christians living under the new covenant. We don't walk by sight, in other words, by what we see. And I want to turn to a verse in John's Gospel, chapter 20, which is, I don't know whether all of you really believe this. It's an amazing verse. It's what Jesus said, you know, when he appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, the first time, Thomas was not there. So very graciously he appeared a second time, and because Thomas said, I won't believe until I see And so Jesus appeared to him a second time. And then Thomas believed because he saw. He believed because he saw. And then he said, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said these words to him. John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 29. Read it carefully. Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. How many of you believe that it is more blessed not to see Jesus physically and yet believe? I think most of us would think, wow, if Jesus could be here and I could see him, I'd really believe. I used to think like that myself for years. But that is our human way of thinking. God says, my ways are not your ways. And it is not by sight that we get close to God. There are many things about God's dealings with man which we can't understand. But if you can believe these words of Jesus, and I I thank God for this. I have never seen Jesus in my life. I've never seen an angel. I've never heard a voice. I have lived by faith, and my life is supremely happy. And I believe with all my heart that it is more blessed not to see and yet believe. Those are the words of Jesus. And in that connection, I want to turn also to Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. It says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it's not that we have no basis for our faith. The Lord says, it's not by physically seeing me that I want you to believe. I want you to you to hear me in your heart as you hear the word. It's not just, it doesn't say faith comes from the word of Christ. In other words, it's not by reading God's word, but faith comes by hearing as God speaks to me through the word of Christ. Why does God say that we shouldn't uh, go by sight? Our eyes deceive us. I don't know whether you realize this. <clears throat> The sun rises in the east and we see it moving in the sky. And for, do you know that for thousands and thousands of years, people who are much cleverer than you and me believed that the sun went around the earth. For thousands of years. Because they believed what they saw. And it was totally wrong. Till about five, six hundred years ago, somebody decided to find out. Is it true what I see? What my fathers and ancestors believed 
and when he checked up he discovered the sun doesn't go around the earth at all and I believe God has kept the sun going like as it were going around the earth to show us one thing your eyes deceive you our senses deceive us our ears deceive us there's a thing called a dog whistle which somebody blows a dog can hear it and you can't hear a thing you think there is no sound there is a sound the dog picks it up because his hearing has got a bigger range than our range our ears deceive us our feelings deceive us do you know right now the earth underneath us right here is rotating at a speed of 1000 miles an hour can you believe it under your feet it's happening it, at the equator it goes 24,000 miles in 24 hours but we don't feel it all these things are to teach us don't trust your senses you think they're telling you the truth they're not there's one thing that's reliable in this world and I've discovered that in the 55 years that I've known Jesus Christ and that is the Word of God it will never never be wrong so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ which means particularly the New Testament in the Old Testament they did not have this word faith is almost never seen this word which is is a particularly New Testament word and uh, in the Old Testament they lived by sight and I'll give you one clear example of that and that's in Psalm 106 this is referring to the time when the the Israelites came out of the Psalm 106 in verse 15 11 and 12 um, where it says they came the Israelites came through the Red Sea and the Egyptians followed and the waters went over their adversaries and the waters covered their adversaries and not one of them was left and it says in Psalm 106 in verse 12 then when after the water had covered their adversaries then they believed this is classic of the Old Testament typical when the enemy was defeated they believed then they sang his praise in the new covenant we sing his praise before we see the enemies defeated because we believe God is on our side and Satan has already been defeated on the cross so this is the big difference between old covenant and new covenant the enemy is there and like David said thou hast set a table before me in the presence of my enemies you haven't defeated them yet but I'm going to sing God's praise this is very important for us to understand this now many people who studied the Bible in the Old Testament could not see it faith comes by God speaking to our heart and giving us what the New Testament calls revelation and that's another thing that we need to understand a New Testament word called revelation that's another word not found in the Old Testament it's not understanding and I want to show you this in Acts of the Apostles chapter 13 and verse 27 those who live in Jerusalem those are the great scholars the only people in that time who had the Bible the Old Testament their rulers means their religious preachers they did not recognize Jesus they did not recognize all the 
utterances of the prophets that means the entire Old Testament which spoke about him which they read every week and they fulfilled these by condemning him I don't know if you realize the seriousness of what's written in those, in those words every week just like Christians gather on Sunday they read the Bible it was in scrolls in the synagogue they read it and they couldn't understand what the prophets were saying these were not it was not because they lacked intelligence they were very clever people those Pharisees they studied and studied and studied the Old Testament which spoke about Jesus from Genesis to Malachi way back in Genesis the seed of the woman in Exodus the Passover lamb in numbers the serpent lifted up on the the bronze serpent lifted up and all the way to Malachi the son of righteousness every single book spoke about Jesus in fact we read in when Jesus walked to Emmaus he spent two hours explaining how every scripture spoke about him and these people who studied and studied and studied these books when the Son of God came in their midst about whom all these books prophesied you know what they called him Prince of Devils that is to show us how blind you can be by studying the scriptures without revelation you can read and study and study and study you have great Bible scholars today who doubt the resurrection who don't believe in the miracles I'm not surprised you need revelation faith is not based on what we understand in our mind is the eyes of our heart that need to be enlightened it's very very important to understand this and I'll give you a contrast to this in Matthew chapter 16 here with these great Bible scholars Matthew 16 and verse 17 we read about Peter when Jesus asked him who do you who do the people say that I am but who do you say that I am and Peter said thou art the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus said you are blessed Simon Barjona and let me paraphrase those words it was not flesh and blood it was not your intelligence that revealed you see that word reveal it's not understanding it's revelation you didn't get this revelation because you were clever my father gave it to you that's why you could say you're the Christ the son of the living God he had faith I fear that many many people's faith is in their head it's not a revelation in their heart and that's why in a time of trial and pressure they get worried and anxious and fearful if you find that all the things you believe and sing and praise God for on Sunday morning don't seem to work at other times in your life consider the possibility that your mind your understand your mind your faith is only in your mind just like those Pharisees they were no more saved than the heathen and I fear that many many people who say they believe in Jesus are no more saved than non-Christians because it's an intellectual belief about certain facts about Jesus Christ that's not it Peter was not a scholar he was a fisherman he, he would never be able to compete in a Bible competition with those Pharisees they, they knew the Bible thoroughly and they called Jesus the devil and Peter who didn't know very much of scripture he could see you're the Christ you're the Messiah you're the one we've been waiting for for 1500 years there is a lesson there for us to learn how faith comes by revelation 
And the Lord needs to say that to each of us. It's not by your cleverness that you'll ever know about me. Many of you clever people can study and study and study, but God gives his revelation to babes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when Paul was preaching, Paul was a very clever man. He was a great scholar, but he never used his intellectual ability to convince people. I want you to listen to these words, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4 and 5. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Why did he speak like that? So that your faith, he's talking about faith, your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Does your faith rest on the reasoning of men where they prove to you that Jesus is the true God and all the other religions are false and you've been convinced in your mind by that? It's the wisdom of men. Paul said, I can argue on that basis if I want. I'm a clever person. And I can argue like that, Paul said, but I will not do it. I will not preach with intellectual persuasion. There's a lot of that, and I'm not against it. I'm just saying that's not the way the apostles preached. I mean, if Peter said that, we could understand it. But Paul was such a brilliant man, so clever. His in intellect was, I think, superior to all of ours. And he could have used his intellect to preach the gospel, but he preached from his heart. Because faith is to be found in the heart. We believe in our heart, not in our head. I want you also to turn to James chapter 2. It says here in James chapter 2, Do you believe? The demons also believe. What type of faith do the demons have? An intellectual faith. I mean, if you were to go to Satan and uh, ask him, do you believe that God is a trinity? Yes. Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. He died for the sins of the world? Yes. He rose up from the dead? Yes. What is it you believe which Satan doesn't believe? Do you believe the Bible is the word of God? Yes. But does he have faith in his heart? No. Every doctrinal statement that evangelicals would write down, the devil believes it in his heart. He may not acknowledge it with his mouth, but he believes in his heart. He knows, for example, that the sins of all humanity were taken by Christ on the cross. But does that intellectual faith save him? No. That's why James says, do you believe? The demons also believe and they tremble. That type of faith is intellectual faith. That's not what it means by walking by faith. So I want to seek to show you that God wants to lead us to a faith which is in the heart. So let, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Trust in the Lord, not with your mind, but with all your heart. And don't lean on your mind. Don't lean on your intellect. Do you know that that verse teaches me that the greatest enemy to faith in the heart is my cleverness, my intelligence. And we, I never try to win a person by argument. When a person tries to 
uh, tells me that Jesus is not Savior. I don't try to prove to him this way and that way that Jesus is the Son of God. I want him to come to a place of need in his life. If you have a tremendous need in your life, the Lord will reveal to you in your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I want to ask all of you sitting here, do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? Or have you been intellectually convinced about Jesus because maybe you were born in a Christian family and from childhood you always believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Well, I was born in a very God-fearing family. I never believed anything else other than what was written in the Bible. But for 19 and a half years, I had no faith. I didn't commit any gross sins. I used to keep the commandments and upright in every way on the outside. I wasn't in need. I wasn't sick. I wasn't financially poor. But I was not saved. I was just a nominal Christian. And as a nominal Christian, every morning, my parents taught me to always say the Lord's Prayer before getting out of bed. <clears throat> and every morning, I would kneel down on my bed and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Went through that, read the Bible, went to Sunday school regularly. Never missed Sunday school on Sundays. Never missed church. But I was not born again. I didn't have faith in my heart. If you ask me questions about Jesus in my head, I would say, yes, I know. I know the parables, I've read them. But I didn't have faith in my heart. I'll tell you when faith came into my heart, my life turned around completely. My whole ambitions changed. My desires became different. My goals became different. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things are passed away and everything has become new. It actually happened. And when I see a lot of people who say they have faith today and are born again, and I see them living just like worldly people. They watch pornography just like anybody else. They shout and yell and scream. And there doesn't seem to be much difference between their lives and everybody else's. And I wonder what type of faith is this? It's in the head. My dear brothers and sisters, don't be satisfied with that. I hope before we end this service that you'll have some understanding of what it means to have faith in the heart. And that that will be your portion. I want you to turn to, <clears throat> because particularly we are living in the last days, I want to warn you that the Bible says that the world is going to go from bad to worse. And that's why we need to be established in faith. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17 and let me share something from here in relation to the last days. I believe we are in the last days. And the people who know their God will be strong. The people who have faith in their heart will be strong. The others will shake. Those who live an intellectual faith will keep arguing at that level. Jesus said that in the last days, Luke 17 verse 26, As it happened in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. And verse 28, it was the same as happened on the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking and so on. And so will it be in the days of the Son of Man, verse 30. So there are two instances from the Old Testament that Jesus picked out. The days of Noah 
and the days of Lot. And he said, the last days are going to be like that. And when I read that, I turn back to the Old Testament and see how it was in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Let me share it briefly with you. And you'll see why it's important to live by faith in these days and walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus warned us that if you live by, uh, live by sight, you're going to be disturbed by a lot of things that are going to happen on this earth. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 6 and let me read to you. It says in Genesis 6 verse 5, this is the days of Noah by the way. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And listen to this, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The last days will be like the days of Noah. Every intent of the thoughts of people is going to be evil continually. I believe the words of Jesus. Verse 12, Genesis 6:12. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. The last days will be the days like the days of Noah. And then God said in verse 13 to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence, and I am about to destroy them with the earth. Do you look around and see things like that happening? Violence. Do you know what violence means? The earth is filled with violence. In today's terms, it is people shooting one another every day. That's what it means. It means terrorism, it means suicide bombing, it means all types of, this is violence. And when I see these things, I'm not praying these things won't happen. When Jesus said it will happen, how can I pray against that? The last days will be like the days of Noah. We can pray for peace in our own midst, but we cannot pray that the world, the earth, the world will become a better place. It will not because that will be praying against what Jesus said is going to happen and I don't pray against what Jesus stated. Then turn with me to Genesis 19 and see the days of Lot. These are the only two people Jesus said. The last days are going to be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. In Genesis 19 we read about God wanted to save Lot from Sodom. And there were two angels who came to Sodom in the evening to deliver Lot and these angels had come as in the form of human beings they were extremely good-looking handsome men and they came into Lot's house and uh, Lot invited them in and when they went in we read here in verse 4 Genesis 19:4, the men of the city the men of Sodom surrounded the house both young and old and they called out to Lot verse 5 and said to him where are the men who came to you tonight bring them out to us that we may have sexual relations with them. And Lot was a hospitable man and he wouldn't let these people go out. Imagine these men wanted to have sex with these men because they were good looking. And um, Lot said, no, I'm not going to let them out. And look what he says. He says in verse 8, I've got two daughters who have never had sex with anyone. Let me bring them out to you. You do what you like to them, but don't do anything to these men. Now a normal human being, if they were full of lust, would accept that offer. But these people said, no, we don't want that. Verse 9, he said, stand aside. 
We want those men. That's all I need to say. The last days will be like the days of Lot. And when I see these things happening around in the world around me, I'm excited. Jesus is coming soon. These are the very signs that Jesus said would take place. I can't fight against them. It will happen and things will go from bad to worse. What I need to do is like Noah, what he did. He didn't try to change the world. He preached the truth for those who wanted to hear. Hardly anybody heard, but his own family did. And he built the ark. And that's what I want to do. I want to preach the truth. Those who have ears to hear will hear. Those who want to repent will repent. And like Noah built the ark, I want to build a church. That's the only thing that's going to last when the world is destroyed. If I were living in Noah's time, I would invest everything in building the ark. I'm living in this time. I want to do everything to build a church. And if you are wise, that's what you'll do as well. I want to tell you in Jesus' name, that's the only thing that will survive when God has destroyed this world and finished with everything there is that we see around us. We need to live by faith in Jesus' words. This is exactly how it is going to be. One more thing about the last days. In 2 Thessalonians and chapter 2 and verse 10 and 11, it says about the tremendous amount of deception of wickedness there will be among those who perish. This is the whole chapter speaking about just before the coming of the Lord. You take your time to read 2 Thessalonians 2. Deception of wickedness. Deception. There's going to be a lot of counterfeit in the last days. Leading people to wickedness. For those who perish. And I want to tell you how you can escape this deception. How you can be protected from this deception. Read the last part of that verse. Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. They did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. That's why they were deceived. And it says in the next verse, For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence. Do you know that's the only verse in the Bible which says that God himself will deceive some people. It's usually the devil who deceives. The Bible says the devil's a deceiver of the whole world. In Revelation 12, Jeremiah 17 says our hearts are deceptive. And in Ephesians 4, it says the lusts of our flesh are deceptive. They deceive us, saying that we will enjoy ourselves, not telling us that they'll destroy us finally. There's a deception. But when it says God will deceive, why is that? Why does God deceive? For this reason, they did not receive the love of the truth. They did not want to be saved. So how shall we escape deception? First of all, by loving the truth. And second, by wanting to be saved from sin. I want to guarantee that anyone who loves the truth about himself, when God shows it, and who wants to be saved from sin in these last days, will not be deceived. The rest 
however clever you think you are, I want to tell you, you'll be spiritually deceived, even though you may intellectually prosper and make a lot of money and become a big person in the world, you will be deceived. You are not cleverer than those clever Pharisees who study the Bible in Jesus' time. They were deceived, so deceived that they thought light was darkness. They thought Jesus was the devil. That's a warning to us. What does it mean to love the truth? To love the truth means when God shows me something about myself, I don't try to cover it up and try to blame somebody else like Adam blamed his wife or try to find some excuse for us, but like the thief on the cross say, Lord, I'm guilty. That's loving the truth. That's why he got into paradise. Not because he was a good man, he was a murderer, but he was honest. He loved the truth. And if you can love the truth, no matter how wicked you are, and say, Lord, I'm guilty, I don't deserve anything, you can find paradise too. That's faith. Comes by, first of all, being honest. And it also means, the Bible says, uh, John 17 says, God's word is the truth. That when I read something in scripture, which seems to contradict what I've always believed, and I'm very proud of my belief, I must be willing to love the truth in scripture and set aside what I have believed all my life. I know God has taken me through some situations like that, where I grew up in a certain church believing certain things and I came to read the Bible and I found it was so different. In fact, I came to water baptism like that. I came to many other truths like that about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and many other things about deception, etc. I wanted to love the truth and I say, God, your word is truth. And if I find this contradicts what my mind tells me, I'm going to believe your word. That's faith. Loving the truth. And the second condition we said there, we saw there in Second Thessalonians was wanting to be saved. Saved from sin. If you don't have a real desire to be saved from every single sin, I want to tell you, in that measure you'll be deceived. God, it says God himself will send a deluding influence. Deceived means I think I'm okay, but you're not. Now I'll wake up one day to discover when Christ comes back, I was thoroughly deceived. I don't want that to happen to me. When Christ comes back, I don't want to discover I was deceived all my life because some preacher tickled my ears and told me I was okay. If you love the truth and you want to be saved from sin, in other words, your conscience tells you certain things are wrong in your life. Maybe the way you speak to your wife or your husband and you have a desperate longing to be free from it. Never mind if you haven't got victory yet. It takes time to get victory. Do you have a longing to be free from that sin? There are other things in your life. Maybe there's unrighteousness in your life in the financial area. Do you want to be free from it? I'm not asking you whether you got the victory. I'm saying, do you want to be free? Maybe you're addicted to pornography or some other sin like that. I'm not asking you whether you're free. I'm asking, do you want to be free? Do you have a longing? Do you believe that that is what crucified Christ on the cross? Do you believe there's those filthy pictures that you see on the computer that crucified Christ on the cross? Do you believe it's your anger that crucified Christ on the cross? Do you believe it's your jealousy and your unforgiving spirit for which Jesus had to suffer and die on the cross? Do you believe that? Do you hate sin because it crucified your Savior? Or is it just something emotional that you sing on Sunday morning? So many people sing about the death of Christ who don't hate sin. 
I believe they are first-rate hypocrites. How can I sing about the death of my Savior and continue in the very thing that killed him? Long to be saved from sin. The thing that made me hate sin more than anything else was I see it as me nailing Jesus to the cross with that sin. My anger, my bitterness, my dirty thoughts and my jealousy and my selfishness and my pride and my unforgiving spirit. That was the nails that put him on the cross. And Lord, I want to hate it. I want to be saved from it. Anyone sitting here, you may be intellectually dumb, it doesn't matter. If you want to be saved from sin, you will not be deceived. You'll come to that genuine faith that the Bible says overcomes the world and that will enable you to stand one day when Christ comes back with great joy and where the Lord will be able to say to you, enter into the joy of your Lord. So many others will be deceived and I want to make sure that nobody's blood here is on my hands. I want to tell you my dear brothers and sisters, I love you folk. I believe God loves you tremendously and that's why he conveys the truth to you that your faith should not rest on the intellectual cleverness of anybody but on God's word and God loves you and you don't have to be clever in it you've got to have a heart that loves the truth about yourself and that wants to be saved turn with me also to Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25 these are the words of Jesus Matthew 11 25 he said I praise you father Lord of heaven and earth is something Jesus praised the Father for that you have hidden these things from the clever and the intelligent many of you who are wise and intelligent do you believe that God hides things from you and that Jesus praised the Father that these things are hidden from the wise and the intelligent and there again you find that word revelation the same word he used to Peter my father has revealed me to you he reveals them to infants what does a six-month-old child have or a little baby have that wise and intelligent people don't have it's not cleverness why did Jesus say father you have revealed you will give revelation to babies they have humility Jesus picked up a baby once and said if you can humble yourself like this child you will enter God's kingdom most of us are wise and intelligent perhaps all of us and I remember when I read this verse and I meditated on it I said Lord I got a handicap I'm clever and intelligent I didn't make myself like that I was born with the cleverness and intelligence what shall I do? Are you going to hide things from me? And the Lord said, no. Be like a babe and you'll get revelation. Don't depend on your cleverness and intelligence. Don't depend on intellectual arguments to come to faith. No. Come like a babe. What argument can a babe have against a clever man who's arguing scripture with him? The babe can say nothing. I remember hearing a little sto of a story of two boys one was five years old and the other was 15 and they were started standing in the garden and the 15 year old boy they were brothers and the 15 year old said hey the sun has moved I saw it there in the east and now it's here in the west 
it's moved and the five-year-old said, no, you remember what daddy told us? It's the earth that's rotating, it's the sun appears to move, it doesn't move. And the older boy said, I believe what I see. And I saw it move. The younger boy said, I believe daddy. That's the difference. Who was right? The clever and the intelligent go astray. They went astray for thousands of years thinking that the sun went around the earth. The Pharisees went astray in the entire life, ministry time of Jesus, thinking he was the devil when he was the son of God. What is the guarantee that you with your cleverness and intelligence won't go astray just like them? My dear brothers and sisters, pursue humility. God will reveal to the humble what he does not reveal to the clever and the intelligent. I hope this truth will sink into your heart. The humbler you are, the more God will reveal to you. And that's where faith is born. Peter's faith was born in his humility. And after a while with Jesus, you know that's what can happen. You stay a while with Jesus and then you become proud. And Peter became proud one day and said, Lord, I'll never deny you even if everybody denies you and then there was only one way that Peter could be humbled and sometimes there's only one way that God can humble some people make them fall into sin God tries to humble us through many circumstances but his last resort is to make us fall into sin sometimes he make up, make humbles a preacher by making him fall into sin because he won't humble himself any other way Paul, Peter was a great preacher. God humbled him by sin. Three times he denied the Lord. And Jesus never prayed that he would not deny him. Don't you we, don't we like to pray that somebody won't fall? But in Peter's case, Jesus did not pray that he wouldn't fall. He needed to fall because he wanted to save his soul. And sometimes God allows you to fall into something terrible because that's the only way he can humble you. But Peter, God, Jesus did pray one thing for Peter. He said, you're going to deny me, but I'm going to pray for one thing for you, Peter. Luke 22, verse 32. I have prayed for you, Simon. Luke 22, verse 32, that your faith may not fail. That's what he prayed for him. Even if you fall, Never mind. Your faith should not fail. What does that mean? That means, Peter, you're going to fall. And I'm not going to pray against that because that's the only way you'll be humbled. You're too proud. I've tried every other way. You, you don't get humbled. And sometimes God has to say that to many of us. But when you hit rock bottom, when you hit rock bottom, don't let your faith fail. That's what I'm praying. Believe that God still loves you. And I want to say that to anybody here who has hit rock bottom. I pray your faith will not fail there at rock bottom. I hope you'll remember God loves you. That's the first basis of faith. God loves me. No matter how much I've fallen. He loves me. His arms are wide open. The story of the prodigal son. Waiting. The father waiting for this man. This young man who had messed up his life. To believe that my father still loves me. 
Do you know that that prodigal son came back because he had faith? He knew that he had been with his dad long enough to know that however much he messed up his life, his father would still welcome him back. Do you have that faith in God? Jesus prayed that Simon's faith would not fail. So the first thing we need to have faith in is that God is a loving father who waits with wide open arms. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father will give good gifts to those who ask him. Matthew 7 verse 11. How much more your heavenly father will give good things to those who ask him. That's what it means to have faith. Not just to know that God is my father, but to know that God is such a good God that he'll never give anything evil. How much more? Like you would not give something evil to your children. So when I read commandments in scripture, I know they are good things. When God asks me to love my enemies, that's good for me. When God asks me to bless those who curse me, that's good for me. When God asks me to forgive and keep on forgiving, that's good for me. He gives only good things. When he asks me to hate sexual evil, when he asks me to stay away from divorce, when he asks me to overcome my anger and say, I'll give you power for it, those are good commandments. Because the Father only gives good things. So this is the mark of my faith, the proof of my faith. I believe that my Father has only told me to do good things. And one more thing. It says in Ephesians, in chapter 1, Ephesians 1 verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope of his calling. And especially verse 19, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. This is in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, do you know that the greatest manifestation of God's power was not in the creation of the world, but when he raised Jesus from the dead? That applies to us, because the man's greatest enemy is death. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was saying, I've conquered your greatest enemy. There's nothing you cannot conquer now if you believe that I've risen from the dead. That's why the apostles were witnesses of his resurrection. It's very important to think of the resurrection of Christ as a triumph of God triumphing for our sake over all evil. That's why Satan was defeated. There's absolutely nothing that Satan or circumstances or evil men can now do to me that will work against me. God makes everything work for good because Christ has risen from the dead. This is what it means to walk by faith, to believe that I've got a Father in heaven who only tells me what is good for me, who welcomes me with wide open arms when I messed up my life, and who has raised Christ from the dead to prove to me that everything that Satan ever did to mess up man's life has been conquered. I can live as more than a conqueror every single day of my life because Christ has risen from the dead. We got to remember this and base our faith on this. Our faith is based on Christ having risen from the dead. One last verse and it'll, I'll prove to you from scripture that this is what faith really is. In conclusion, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. If you confess 
with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart not that he died for your sins that's true but here it says believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead that he's conquered everything that the devil's done to mess up your life he's conquered everything that's the meaning of the resurrection and if I believe this is where faith is based faith is not just based on Christ died for my sins that's good but he raised him from the dead he defeated Satan on the cross I'm going to be saved not just saved from hell but saved from sin and saved from every wretched thing that the devil has put upon our lives God wants us to have a full salvation so I trust my brothers and sisters that we've learned something today that will help us to walk in humility in honesty in humble dependence upon God in faith just like a branch in a tree that says I can do nothing except what the tree supplies me in sap I don't have to struggle to produce fruit this is faith faith is not doing something it's resting like a branch in a tree God's not asking you to accomplish something God says rest in me it's not a struggle it's a rest there is a rest of faith just like the branch without me you can do nothing brothers and sisters let's praise the Lord for this wonderful way of salvation I want you to bow your heads with me it doesn't matter if you don't remember all that you heard it doesn't even matter if your mind is not so sharp to understand everything what's your heart's condition are you humble enough to say Lord I hardly know anything about you there's great hope for you like a little child who says I know nothing teach me father teach me are you honest enough to love the truth which the Lord has spoken to your heart that's all he requires say Lord in honesty and humility I come to you reveal to me what you have hidden from the clever people in the world Reveal to me the triumph of Jesus in his resurrection. That nothing will bring fear into my heart anymore. Anxiety and fear will disappear. Lord help me to walk by faith in these last days. Not to be disturbed by the evil in the world around me. As the world goes from bad to worse. But to trust you. And to walk with you. Till I see you face to face. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.